So we ought to know what we're getting into. Uh, if you define evangelism, uh, Webster put it this way. You, get, you can get faith from reading the dictionary. Did you ever see that? Some of the definitions Webster put in there. He was a godly man that, that knew Jesus, I believe. Uh, Webster defined it this way. Evangelism is the winning or revival of personal commitments to Christ. So that was, that was what he said evangelism was. It's about connecting people to Jesus. Uh, and the second definition, which uh, sometimes it manifests in strange ways in the church, but uh, Webster said the second definition of evangelism was militant zeal. And I thought there are, there are some people that they take that literally of, you know, I'm going to get the Bible and I'm going to beat Jesus into you. <laughs> and they, they take the militant part of it too far. <laughs> But we are to be somewhat militant. Occupy until Jesus comes was actually a military term of we are to go in and take over. Uh, so evangelism should come out of our zeal for Christ. And there should be something about it that motivates us, uh, the way the, the, even the way the military gets motivated. If you look in Scripture, uh, the, the Greek word for evangelist is uh, euangelistes. And it literally means one who shares the gospel or someone who carries good news. How many of you know that when we share the gospel, it ought to be good news to people. If, if you are sharing something and people are not receiving it as good news, then you might need to step back and ask yourself, what am I saying to them and how am I going about this? It is intended to be good news. Uh, I saw a couple different uh, people talking about evangelism this week. Uh, one quote I saw out there said, evangelism is simply one starving beggar telling another starving beggar where to find bread. Uh, that was kind of an interesting way to look at it. Is we, we have access to the bread of life. He satisfied the hunger within us, and we're helping people who are hungry get connected to that. Uh, another person said evangelism could be reduced to uh, don't keep Jesus to yourself. I thought that was a good way to look at it too. He's given us his life, and we can either choose to hoard it, to bury it like the, this parable of the talents, or we can choose to give it away and share it with others. Uh, somebody else said this, a... Uh, Evangelism is offering people a slice of heaven on earth. That is an interesting way to, to, to look at it also because when you come into a relationship with Jesus, he begins to change the atmosphere around you. He begins to transform your life to make it look more like heaven. So we need to keep in mind that evangelism is simply sharing good news. And it's good news about what Jesus has done for us. Does that make sense to everyone? All right, one, that made sense to one person. And see, this is what happens in the evangelism talk. Everybody either gets afraid or they check out. Like, I've heard the evangelism thing before. Uh, evangelism is sharing good news about Jesus, right? All right. Uh, and when you think about it in its basis sense, evangelism really is about people and personal connections. Because that, that is what is on God's heart, isn't it? God loves people. It didn't say he sent Jesus to the earth because he, he so loved the fish and the bears didn't say he, loved, he sent Jesus to the earth because he really wanted cool buildings. You know, a lot of stone edifices all around the city that people could look at. Why did he send Jesus? Because he loved people. So people are really what is at the core. When we talk about evangelism, we're, we're talking about tapping into the heart of God, which is for people because he loves them. Uh, I saw this quote and thought this was a really good reminder for us. It says, evangelism is most persuasive... When living it. Evangelism doesn't do us a whole lot of good if we just talk about it. We could have all the evangelism classes that we want. 
teach you the four spiritual laws, give you the Romans road, give you all this, these tools to equip you. But if we're not actually living the gospel, no one's going to hear it. It's not persuasive if it's not a lifestyle that's affecting the people around us. There was a survey uh, that I found of 15,000 adults said the most effective method of church marketing. Anybody ever? That's almost like you hate to use those two words together, church marketing, because it, it just gives you the heebie-jeebies. It's, are we a business now? Are we a corporate CEO culture? Um, but they were doing this survey. How could churches get the word out and let people know what's there? Uh, this survey, they said the most effective method of church marketing is still the personal invitation. You would think in the age we live in, everybody's convinced that it's it's Facebook, it's, it's the Internet, it's how many Twitter followers can we have as our church. The most effective method of getting the word out is personal invitations, touching people's lives with our lives. Does that disappoint anybody else? <laughs> Because it sure would be easier if the most effective thing was Facebook. We could just say, hey, we've got this church thing and this evangelism thing solved, and we don't even have to see anybody face-to-face. Man, that, that is the problem of the Internet, is we are more connected than ever, but we are less connected than ever at the same time. I got, you, know, you, you talk to kids, it's like, hey, I got, I got 5,000 friends. Well, how many of them do you see? Oh, none. I never see any of those people. I'm too busy on the computer. It's, it's, it really is true, though. Facebook evangelism. I see all these people post their stuff on Facebook. And stuff is, a, stuff is probably the cleaned up word for it that we can say in mixed company. They, they post all their stuff on Facebook. How many of you have ever changed someone's mind or convince them to, that their opinion was wrong by having a Facebook argument. Come on, and we've all seen them. You see the the, the long thread on on there. It's like these people are really mad at each other, and they don't agree at all. And and you know the next thing you know, somebody unpacks all their scripture verses of why they're right, and then the other person gives all their scripture verses of why you're an idiot and I'm right, and then and they never agree. Why why would we spend our time doing that? if it's not producing any results. Changing people's lives come by face-to-face. I, I know you, you know me. We'll get more into that, but I don't know. I guess that's my, my Facebook soapbox for the day. Just I hate... And then, and then you get all the unbelievers. They, they look at Facebook, and it just reinforces their view of, hey, Christians don't get along any better than I get along. And all they do is spend their time arguing with each other. Everybody here knows that's true, don't you? And for those of you that don't have Facebook, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you've saved yourselves a whole lot of hassle of just getting involved in all that. My mom, it, as much as my mom would love to see like pictures of, of Jackson and Levi and Heather and Ashley and their families, I don't want to give my mom a Facebook account. Because can you picture... My mom reacting to some of those. Did you see what they said? Or I just ignorance really is bliss sometimes. Mom, it's it's okay. Just just nod and smile when people talk about Facebook, and it'll be okay. (laughs) Uh, Well, I wanted to debunk a couple evangelism myths this morning as as we're starting this series. Uh, The first one is evangelism 
is outdated or irrelevant. You know, there there are people that they don't. You know, hey, it's it's not worth it to to go and do all these programs. You know, nobody listens, nobody pays attention to the message anymore. Uh, evangelism's outdated. Nobody will will hear you talk. I saw this quote. Uh, this week in Outreach Magazine. It said, People still respond to the things of God when the things of God are viewed by us as important enough to talk about. Why don't people respond to the things of God? Why don't? Why do we have this opinion of nobody cares about the things that God's doing? Well, if, if they're not important enough to us to talk about them, then they're not important enough for people to listen to. So the quote was, people still respond to the things of God when the things of God are viewed by us as important enough to talk about. So evangelism is outdated, is, is a myth. Evangelism is irrelevant, is a, is a myth. Uh, how about this one? These, these two kind of go together, but I wrote them down separately. Uh, one myth is evangelism is for experts. Anybody ever feel, feel that way? Man, I... If it's got to be the, the guy with the title that goes out and does the evangelizing. You know, I'll... I'll help maybe get some people or I'll post a flyer, but the, the evangelist has got to come and do the evangelizing. And, and the other myth that goes hand in hand with that is I need extensive training to evangelize. Anybody ever feel that way? Like, oh, I'm so under-equipped. I, I, I can't possibly go share with anybody because I haven't been to the class. How, how am I going to... How, how am I going to know what to share if, if I haven't gone to the class? And they've, they've told me, gave me the list, gave me the cheat sheet, gave me the crib notes, whatever it is. You know, we, we kind of picture it like uh, Ben Roethlisberger going out there with all the plays on his arm. You know what I mean? He, he can't remember them all, so he's got to have them all written down there. And he, he calls them, and you can't even understand what he's saying anyway. Red Dog 42XZ Jet. You know, we feel that way about evangelism. How could I possibly go talk to anybody about that complicated book and, and Jesus and God and the, the master of the universe and all this thing if I don't have my cheat sheet or my notes? And we don't evangelize because we think it's for experts. I have, I have to have extensive training. Pretty much all you have to do to evangelize is you, you be saved yourself. <laughs> In fact, I'm... I'm pretty sure that an unsaved person could probably preach this book to somebody and they would get saved. Because the Holy Spirit, if he could talk through a donkey, he could even talk through unsaved people. But for most of us, all you have to do is turn around to somebody and say, man, Jesus transformed my life. He changed me. Let me tell you what he did for me. You don't have to come to the class and have six weeks of training and have all this knowledge or be an expert and we'll put a title behind your name. You're certified to evangelize. Thank God it doesn't work that way. All you have to do is is know Jesus and tell somebody else what He's done for you. Most often, all we need is a reminder to share. As Christians, we just we just need that that gentle nudge of Oh yeah, God loves lost people. I need to share. Uh, another evangelism myth. How about has this one ever done anybody in? Evangelism is for extroverts. You know, it's only the outgoing people. Only the people with charisma that can stand up and they're not afraid to go talk to people. You know, the Bible doesn't say that. Just like it didn't say this is where Sean should work or live or this is where Chris should work. You know, it doesn't say in the Bible anywhere. You can read You can read the whole thing. Not right now while I'm talking, but hopefully you're doing that at home. You can read the whole thing and it doesn't say evangelism is only for outgoing people. Evangelism is just for extroverts. I mean, you feel like in, in this society or in our culture, we've made introvert a bad word 
you know, we've, we've made it like, oh, there must be something wrong with you if you're an introvert. Why aren't you more outgoing? You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. It's just a different personality type. You are wired differently than the person that stands up and has all this charisma and is so outgoing and goes and shakes everybody's hand at the whatever event or function you're at. Don't let that myth disqualify you from evangelizing. God wants to use your personality the way He made you to reach people. When when Dottie is at the big social function and she's out shaking everybody's hand and saying hi to everybody like a good politician or something, and that's you, right? That's totally you. <laughs> so when when she's out greeting the masses and, and, and having all this charisma and telling the jokes and making everybody laugh and Steve's sitting over in the corner all by himself and he happens to be sitting next to the other person that's sitting in the corner all by themselves because they're not an extrovert and they Who's going to reach that person sitting in the corner all by themselves? Well, Steve. Or, or whoever happens to be the one that's an introvert because they have something in common. They, they understand how it feels to be in this room with people that are all outgoing and smiley and happy. And I just want to crawl under the, the table. God gave you your personality because there's people you can reach with the way he made you. So those are some myths about evangelism. And I want to just touch a couple more things before we, we close today. Uh, one thought came to me, why do we evangelize? You know, what's, what's the point of it? Is it because we, we want to see more people in the seats because they put more money in the plates? Is that the reason? That's good. You, you guys are on the ball on that one. Here's, here's a couple reasons why. The first one I wrote down is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded with you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we read that verse, and yes, it says, make disciples. You, know, you ever hear somebody argue that point of, Oh, it, it doesn't just say converts. It says make disciples. So, you know, we need to, to get people and start training them and teaching them. You know, Jesus said, teach them everything I've, I've commanded them. Uh, baptize them, which there's a commercial for you. We are doing water baptisms next Sunday. So if you want to get baptized, uh, that would be a good day for you. Do you know that you can't make disciples if you don't have converts? <laughs> We, we, we argue semantics, and sometimes we use it as a justification of why the church isn't growing. Because, you know, we, we got two people saved 20 years ago, and we've been spending our time discipling them. Because discipleship takes time, and it's a process. And, you know, you can't make disciples if you don't have converts. So in the Great Commission, built into obeying the Great Commission to make disciples and to baptize everybody and teach them everything, is converts. Getting people saved, getting them born again. Another reason, uh, oh, I was going to say, because Jesus has all authority, we can do that. You, you notice that he prefaces the Great Commission by saying, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Be- because I have all that authority, this will work. <laughs> you, you can actually do this. You can accomplish this. Uh, another reason why we evangelize, uh, and these are just some of my own. I, d- I, didn't, I wish I would have found a nice book or something that had all these laid out, and then I could have preached it. But... Uh, I thought, you know, evangelism gives life meaning. 
If, if the harvest doesn't motivate us, then everything else is pointless. You know, what, why are we educating ourselves? Why do we have a nice job? Why are we having, making a house for our family? Why are we having children? Why are we getting married? All that stuff is pointless outside of Jesus. And so evangelism, in, in its purest sense, connecting people with Jesus gives life meaning, gives life context. It makes it all worth what we're doing. Uh, another reason to evangelize, anybody ever hear the phrase, pay it forward? And we use that usually to talk about good deeds. Or somebody, you ever do this one? Uh, you don't know pay it forward. You've never heard that phrase. Um, pay it forward means somebody did something nice for you. Turn around and do something nice for someone else. Uh, sometimes, in a very practical sense, we've, we've gotten in the line at the fast food restaurant where somebody paid for our meal. Just out of the blue. You know, car in front of them says, hey, I want to pay for the people behind me. My wife has started that chain a couple times. Pretty amazing. So you pull up to the window. They say, hey, that your meal's paid for. Pay it forward would mean, well, okay, I'm going to pay for the meal of the car behind us then. That's, that's kind of what pay it forward means. So in, in the sense of the gospel, somebody shared with you the greatest gift you ever received. We ought to want to pay that forward. Who could, I, I so value this gift I've been given that, that Jesus was shared with me that I want to share it with somebody else. I want, I want to tell others what he's done for me. Does that make sense in that context? Pay it forward is a good reason to evangelize. Uh, Mike mentioned this one when I said it. Uh, we want to do God's will. That's, that's a pretty good reason to evangelize, isn't it? We want to do God's will. What well, says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Anyone, everyone. He, he wants all people to be saved. And when we evangelize, we are doing God's will. We, we are helping people get saved because He wants them to be saved. Uh, here's another one uh, of why evangelize. And, and I don't know that we all feel this way sometimes, but uh, there's... I, didn't, I wrote down a verse first because I didn't have a good way to, to put this in a, in a little nutshell of a nice saying for you. 1 Corinthians 9.16, uh, Paul says this, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. He actually says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm compelled to preach. You know, we've, we've been given the greatest message of eternity. It's, it's better than any... <laughs> I, when I think about things that sound great, I think of all the junk mail flyers you get. You know, they, they want you to think that their product or whatever they're sending you is the greatest thing that's ever been invented or ever existed. We've been giving something that is better than any description you've ever read on any junk mail flyer. And it, there ought to be some compulsion of man, I need to tell everybody about how great this is. Do you ever meet people that their lives... Now, this is just in the natural. Do you ever meet people that their lives have been transformed by some product that they purchased? What do they do? They tell everybody. They tell all their friends, man, you should buy this cream. You know, see what it did for my hair? And you get... They are like the best salesperson ever for that product because it changed their lives. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, man, I am compelled to preach the kindness of God. Tell everybody how awesome this is. And he actually says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Uh, that word woe 
is not to stop a horse. That, that is an expression of grief. That is the same word, if you look in the Greek, that is the same word that Jesus used when he started railing against the teachers of law, when he said, Woe to you, you whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers. Whoa. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, Whoa. Paul actually uses it and says, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I've been given this great treasure. Am I going to sit on it, keep it to myself? Whoa. Or am I going to share it with the world? Uh, so that kind of leads me to the thought of what is our motivation for evangelism. And uh, you can write this down. Here is the extensive list. This is, this is the, the end-all, be-all list for our motivation for evangelism. You ready? Love. That's it. That's the entire list. That ought to be our motivation for evangelism. If, if you are evangelizing people for any other reason besides I love people, then you need to go back and reevaluate why you're doing it. What is my attitude towards people? You know, some bad motives could be, oh, I've, I've got to do evangelism to earn God's favor. You know, I've got to get so many notches on my belt. You know, I have to close so many sales deals or the CEO God won't, won't let me in. Anybody ever have somebody try to manipulate you to evangelize because of that? There, there are places out there that do it. Uh, we, we get spoiled because we don't do that here. And, you, and if you don't ever go anywhere else, you, you never realize, wow, they, they actually do that in other places. Uh, another bad motive, I think, is trying to get Jesus to come back sooner. On the surface, that sounds like a great idea. But it's a bad motivation. You know, life stinks. Really want Jesus to come back and end all this pain and suffering. So I've just got to obey the Great Commission, get everybody saved. Then he can come back. Yes. Hmm. I still put that one in the category of bad motivations because it's not love. Love, 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 love is why we should be motivated to share the gospel with people. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says it this way, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. For Paul, he had gotten to a place where God's love compelled him. If you go, if you go study that a little more in depth than what that means in the Greek when it talks about being compelled, it actually means being hemmed in, being put in a place where I have no other choice but to do what I'm doing and to act the way I'm acting, to look like I'm looking. His, his love compels us. Some translations use constrain, which, which is probably closer to the original meaning of God's... It's almost like God gets you boxed in by His love and says, you've, you've got to do this now because you love me and I love you. And it's, it's weird because it sounds, it sounds almost bad. Like, hey, what do you mean God's, God's put me in a box? I'm not allowed to put him in a box. Why is he putting me in a box? That's not the way it is at all. It's just that the motivation of love transforms you to where you can't make some of the choices to do things for other reasons anymore. It's just, man, love so drives me that everything I do has to be from that place. I'm, I know I'm probably not doing that justice, that picture, but... Love, love, love has to be our motivation for reaching the lost. And, you know, I said if you aren't evangelizing for the motivation of love, you need to check your attitude. If you 
take that back a step further. If you have trouble loving people, <laughs> like, oh, pastor, I, I would love to evangelize because I love people, but I don't even love people. In fact, I'm not even sure I like these people that I'm sitting here in this room with. Uh, that's another flag of maybe you need to go back and check your attitude. You know, you can actually ask God to change that in your heart. Lord, help me love people the way that you love people. And he'll answer that prayer. So sometimes that's a dangerous prayer, but one that some of us need to pray. I'm preaching to myself on that one because none, none of you guys, but there's other people that really tick me off sometimes. And I just don't want to be around them. I don't want to love them. I don't want to do anything. And I need to ask God to get that out of me. Lord, any, anything that doesn't love people that's in me, root that out and give me the same heart that you have for others. All right, that's, that was kind of the groundwork for, for this series. In, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about uh, some different types of evangelism, in, including some things not to do. Hopefully, we've, we've never done some of these, but we'll, we'll talk about some things not to do. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how do you react if somebody rejects Jesus? You know, what do you do? Is it, oh, shake my dust off my feet, and God, you can smite them now. They rejected you. Uh, is that how we should act? You guys already know the answers to that one. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about the sinner's prayer. Is, is the sinner's prayer our goal for evangelism? Hmm. I'll tell you this in advance. The, the sinner's prayer is not magic. It's, you know, Some people think like, oh, I'm praying, I get to the end of my prayer, and as long as I tack in Jesus' name on the end of it, it's a good prayer, right? Anybody ever know anybody like that? doesn't matter what I say. Happy birthday, Silas, in Jesus' name. Wasn't that a great prayer? The sinner's prayer is not magic. Just like putting in Jesus' name on the end of a prayer, what, what works is faith being awakened in somebody. The, the criteria for salvation is belief. Not that you prayed the prayer. But, I will say, I think the prayer is important because it gives people a stake in the ground. It gives them a place where they say, hey, I know for sure this day. Because if, if faith is the criteria, I think you can ask people, do you believe that, that Jesus died on the cross for you and took away your sins? Yes, I believe that. But when did you pray the sinner's prayer? I never actually prayed it. Now, if that person got hit by a bus, where do you think they're going to go? <laughs> what counts? Was it I said the words or I had the belief that the faith was awakened in me? So so it's not magic, but it is important. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the sinner's prayer because I think it gives people a reference point of, I know for sure this day, and I confessed it out loud for people to hear. I confessed it out loud for myself to hear. Yeah, convincing myself even. And and that is Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So if you look at it is, in its basis criteria that, that it takes, uh, you could say the sinner's prayer, all you got to do is say, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> you know, for, forget the every every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I thank you. I, I'm such a sinner, but you saw... The basic of it is, hey, Jesus is Lord. I said it with my mouth, and I believe it in my heart. I'm saved. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about evangelism in the next couple of weeks.
We're going to do it. We're going to give altar calls. We're going to go back to praying for the names in the box. Everybody remembers our names in the box, right? These, these are people that we've been actively praying for. And uh, hopefully you've not forgotten the people. If you put their name in the box, that doesn't alleviate you from the responsibility of praying for them because you love them enough to put their name in here. You know, we're talking about getting involved in life groups and having relationship in small groups and community. Well, it's like, well, who should I invite to a life group? person whose name you put in the box. <laughs> that, that would be a good tangible next step because that's part of what we're going to do when talking about evangelism is we're going to close that loop. It's not enough to just put the name in the box and pray for them. What are we doing to give them an opportunity to encounter Jesus? How about let's, let's put the name in the box, let's pray for them for a month, and then let's take them out to eat. Let's take them somewhere to get coffee. Let's, let's create opportunities for us to, to begin to talk and relate to those people and, and ask God to come into the conversation with us. You guys all right? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm an evangelist. Now look at, look at your other neighbor and say it like you mean it this time. Let's, let's go ahead and stand. I don't, I don't know everybody in the room this morning where everybody stands with Jesus. Since we're talking about evangelism, I'm going to give you a chance to respond if you need to. Uh, Jesus died for you on the cross because he, he wanted to restore you to a relationship with God. And uh, if you've never taken that step to come to know him this morning, I want you to, to come talk to me as soon as the service is done. And just say, I, I need to do that this morning. I've never done it before. And uh, we will pray the sinner's prayer. <laughs> and it's not magic, but if there's belief in your heart, you know that you know that you know that he died for you. Thank you, Lord. Now, the rest of us that know Jesus, what I would like us to do is tell the Lord this morning that you're willing that's, that's, that's another dangerous prayer to pray because I'm, I'm not going to put anything necessarily on the end of that statement. I just want us to tell God this morning that we are willing. You're saying, willing to do what? Evangelize? Because we just talked. Willing to do whatever he wants to fill in the blank with. So if that's, if that's you, if, if you want to say this morning with me, you're willing. Because I'm, I'm preaching to myself too. God, I'm willing. I, I want, I've heard it enough from you. I get the message, God. We want to see people get saved. We are going to evangelize. Uh, if you're willing this morning, I just want you to raise your hands up to them right where you're standing, just like we're worshiping this morning. God, I thank you for your people. Thank you for your family. Thank you for the, the people in this room that uh, have already come to a place of faith that they know you, Lord Jesus, that they embraced what you did on the cross for them. And uh, God, I ask now that you would stir us with boldness. Uh, that you would uh, break down any any preconceptions we've had about evangelism, any intimidation we felt. We know that that's the enemy, and we reject that right now. Uh, we thank you. There's no condemnation. There's no intimidation. There's no com- manipulation in you, Lord Jesus. God, we just want to share with people the joy that we've experienced by coming to know you, the relationship that we have with you. And we ask right now, we say, I'm willing, God, and we ask for opportunities uh, to help others encounter you, Lord Jesus, to help others come 
to know you in a real and tangible way, the same way we've come to know you, Lord. God, I ask right now that you just empower every person in this room to be a witness for you. I thank you for every life in this room that's changed stories that are represented here, Lord God, where you've taken us uh, off of the the dust heap in many places and and you've restored joy in our lives. You've given us a reason to live. And uh, I thank you for every single story that's represented in this room. Lord, give us opportunities to share our story with others. Lord, I bless your people right now. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy that's seen in our lives. I thank you for your face that shines on us, your favor that that breaks like the morning dawn over our lives. Lord, I ask that you would continue to walk with us even as we go from this place. Lord, I thank you that you are with us. We just say that we love you, Lord. We honor you and we give you glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to say that, that you are just...